High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Son, you gotta work late. Sometimes I wonder what I'm gonna do, but there ain't no cure for the summertime. Welcome back to the endless summer here on High School Slumber Party. The podcast remains some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, summer school is still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. That's right, the endless summer continues here on high school slumber party if you haven't been following we're still in our senior year we did not graduate we did not get enough credits to graduate truancy came down on us i had to appoint or sorry not i uh the powers that be appointed mike manzi as a superintendent and he's helping us get through this hopefully 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 we'll be on the fall schedule i think this movie will put us on the trajectory for that because it is such a classic such a classic dirty dancing and you know the response i've been getting online on our social media facebook instagram twitter and just directly to me people who know me about dirty dancing is wild so we decided to make this a two-parter kyle reinfried will be here for both and he's doing us such a solid he actually went out to san emilio island if you remember him and i spent the summer in san emilio island last year I regrettably couldn't make it this time. He's carrying the lease himself out there, having a good time. He agreed to be on this episode, so I'm so thankful for that. And we'll have a couple other guests as well. But before that, I just want to remind you guys to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. While you're there, give us a positive rating or a five-star review. Tell a friend about High School Slumber Party. That's the best way to spread the word about the efforts I'm putting in at random times during the week. (laughs) It's a lot of episodes, though. 300 plus now, and we're chugging away, and we hope to get 300 more in someday. That's the goal. Maybe 300 more after that. Who knows? Maybe I'm crazy. Yes, I am. Whew. Also, you can check this podcast out as well as so many other great pop culture podcasts at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me, the home of High School Slumber Party. And on that note, check out our Grease episode in the archive. As we mentioned last episode, and I'm sure you know by now, Olivia Newton-John passed away, legend. Kyle will talk a little bit about her on today's episode as he was a big fan. But check out our Grease episode. We did that as a conjoined episode with crossover, I guess is the better term, with wistful thinking. So Kara Gail O'Regan and Jordan Pullen Clark were with me, and you can check out their feed for the first part and my feed for the second part. They pair very well together, and yeah, it's safe to say that that watch of Grease changed my mind on the film. But I digress. You listen to it. That's your homework. Speaking of homework, We had a couple great episodes come out recently here that you should catch up on if you haven't listened to. We had a Space Camp episode with the aforementioned Mike Manzi, the superintendent. Check that out. 
and we did an episode on Pleasantville with two of my high school friends and great guys, Danny Kim and Chris Carroll. So check those episodes out as well. And also, I guest starred on an out-of-network podcast, and I had so much fun doing it. I want you guys to write this down, take a mental note, check out Everybody Loves Everybody Loves Raymond. It's a great podcast. I was so happy to get hooked up with those guys. I just did an episode. Listen to my episode, but listen to all their episodes. One of the most fun I've ever had podcasting. So please, please, please check it out. Even if you don't like or don't know Everybody Loves Raymond, they have a great way of bringing you into that show. It's silly. It's fun. It's amazing. They're doing it episode by episode, and it's on my regular listens now. So definitely check out Everybody Loves Everybody Loves Raymond. And let me know what you think. Send me a message. Let me know if I'm better as a guest, as a host, because I've been told that a lot. (laughs) All right, let's get to the dirty dancing. So once again, this is a two-parter. For part one, not only will we have Kyle, but Christian Larson comes on at the beginning. And I recorded something with him because he's a little bit of an expert on the Catskills. And of course, this movie takes place in the Catskills. So listen for that, and then listen for part one of Kyle's conversation, and listen for me at the end, as always. So pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother sleeping at Brian's, because we're about to get our party on. Let's leave you with, oh, so many great choices today. How about Hungry Eyes, Eric Carmen. See you on the other side. Legend, Christian Larson, welcome back to High School Slumber Party. I had some questions for you today, so I figured I'd bring you on. How you been? How are you enjoying your uh, Hudson Valley summer? Oh, it's been great. It's been wonderful. You know, I'm, I'm glad to be back here with you. You always seem to find subjects that I didn't know I wanted to talk about. Uh, and this is definitely one of them. I see that you, you know, go to the Catskills from time to time. I figured you had some knowledge. We're talking Dirty Dancing today. And mm-hmm. I'm like, let me just talk to this guy. Let me just talk to Larson and see what he <laughs> might even know about, you know, what was called the Borscht Belt and, you know, everything up there. So what do you know about this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's actually a subject kind of near and dear to my heart. Uh, and I didn't think you knew that. <laughs> when I was a kid, my family would go to the Catskills every summer for a week and uh, all our friends, family friends and relatives would be there. And this was the 80s and early 90s. So it was really uh, after, well after the the prime time, of the Catskill Borscht Belt. I mean, we never went to any place that was like one of the typical Borscht Belt hotels. 
Uh, but we saw sort of the decline of the Catskills firsthand, and, and that really happened in the 60, late 60s into the 70s. Or, or actually, no, I would say like early 80s probably was because I remember as a kid growing up in the area, and, and you may have too, seeing the commercial for the Mount Airy Lodge. Yes, yes. Yes, it's, it's a song that any kid growing up in the 80s around here knows. Uh, that was the Poconos, I think, but it was kind of the same concept. It was a place a couple hours outside of the city where families, sometimes they were romantic resorts, but more often uh, than not, they were the Borscht ones where a family would go, usually for about a month, and there was all kinds of activity there. I mean, obviously, they're most well-known for the big-name comedians that came out of it, but there was always stuff going on, classes, activities. And you see some of that dirty dancing. There's like a dance class by the uh, by the water and, and a big talent show. Of course, there was always a big talent. <laughs> show. You know, they they just seem like these really cool places. I never really went to one of the Borscht Belt places, but it, it's something as a student of comedy, you hear about the people that came out of there. I just read Mel Brooks's amazing autobiography all about me which i highly recommend awesome and he talks about getting his start uh on the borscht belt circuit and his first job was there was a specific job for a guy to hang out by the pool and walk around and make jokes with the guests uh, <laughs> That's awesome. that was that was his job and there was a specific uh yiddishy name for it which i can't remember but I was just like, that's so perfect that that was Mel Brooks's first, you know, like he would go around, do a little magic trick, tell a little one liner. Uh, he said at one point he dressed up in a suit and stood on the diving board with suitcases full of rocks and <laughs> said, this is it. You know, it's all over for me. Goodbye, cruel world. He jumped in the pool. <laughs> um, and, and then, yeah, as the 70s and 80s came in, uh, for various reasons, uh, the Catskills, the Poconos slowly sorted to, started to dry up. People didn't really vacation there anymore for a number of reasons. I mean, air travel was more uh, common and affordable. Uh, also, not everybody lived in the city anymore, I think was a big part of it. Oh, true. But, yeah. Because going to the Catskills, going to the Poconos used to be a, a whole nother world. And you could stay there for a month. But eventually, when when the kind of people who went to these resorts, you know, a lot of them were professional Jewish families who were living in the city uh, by the 70s, 80s, 90s, they kind of lived in the suburbs. So you had a park, you had a pool, you had a lake probably in your town. So the mystique was was gone. For um, sure. Because if you think about like you mentioned the air travel thing, too, if if you're a family who's uprooted yourself to the suburbs, you have those close comforts of what you said, like a park and such. And when you want to go on vacation, now that you can go to the Caribbean or something, you're probably sure. going to do it because that's such a different world. Whereas like, you know, where we grew up in New Jersey, the Catskills are great. Don't get me wrong, but it's like not as different as a Caribbean island is. Exactly. And living in the city now, I totally get it because in the summer, it gets so hot on these streets. And this is in the air conditioning era. Could you imagine the pre-air conditioning era? 
Yeah, I mean, I bet that had a lot to do with it, too. You know, I'm also fascinated by the history of Coney Island, which had kind of a, a similar trajectory. And a big part of people not going to Coney Island anymore was air conditioning. You know, wow. people went to Coney Island because it was hot in the city. <laughs> It's so simple, but it, it's so relatable, you know? It definitely makes sense. I know you uh, head up to the Catskills even today. Like, are, are any of these resorts still there in any fashion? Well, it's funny you should, you should ask that because uh, last year, my wife and I went to go stay in the hotel that my family uh, spent every summer at, oh. you know, going back to the 20s. There are pictures of my great grandparents on the walls of, of the uh, the office in this place. Even that's today. amazing. That's amazing. And like old log books and, and, and postcards and letters. It's very cool. But it closed. It went through a few owners. It was it was owned by a family and it was a husband and wife team. And sometime in the in the mid to late 90s, the wife passed away and the husband sold it and moved to Florida. And it went through a few owners, and, and recently it was bought by these very hip boutique uh, Instagram influencer type people, and they've turned it into basically, you know, it's it's very nice, but it's like glamping, you know. Gotcha. The the old bar uh, is now a, a dance club that goes until four a.m. On the weekends, there are craft cocktails being sold at the old bar, and it attracts, I mean, basically, we felt very old and very uncool because <laughs> all of these people are like the hot, young Instagram people from the city, and they come up every weekend and just tear the place to shreds and go back home. And it was a very, I mean, it's, it's still really nice. It's just different. And, and I think you're seeing, in, in a lot of ways, you're seeing this around the Hudson Valley in general, but especially further up north and, and west where the real estate prices are lower, uh, you're seeing people like this saying, why don't we buy an old motel for dirt cheap and fix it up and do our own thing with it, which is cool to see. But the Borscht Bell places, I mean, it's a matter of scale. And you're you're never going to get thousands and thousands of people to stay in a resort anymore in the Catskills. It's just not going to happen. So the smaller places, I think, have a chance of, of kind of reinventing themselves. But I mean, if you go online, it's not hard to find pictures of these grand old resorts and people who have wandered around taking pictures of what they look like now. And it's it's sad, but, you know, it's it's something that just can't be a thing now yeah a couple good points there that, that you make and just going back though to you know you kind of hit something with me like you're totally right that there's almost not a there's never going to be a renaissance of this you're correct but yeah since a lot of people especially you know people in the city were kind of stuck during the pandemic and unable to do their regular international travel we'll say I feel like there was a huge rediscovery of New York state. And as you know, as I know, it's a beautiful state and it's a state with so many different areas and so many cool things that while it might not 
exist in, you know, the Borscht Belt form. I'm, you know, curious about this sort of next chapter of, I mean, again, it's not for everybody, as you said, like, I don't know if I'm the hot young couple, but, (laughs) (laughs) but it is cool that it's just not decaying and dying on the vine either. It's cool that a new generation is discovering even, even stuff for its natural beauty, right? Like it's a beautiful state in that sense. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm really fascinated by that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you bring that up because, you know, like I kind of touched on this, but in general, I live in Peekskill, which is only about an hour north of the city. And all around here, you see a huge influx of people who came up here during the pandemic. A lot of young people, a lot of young families. uh, And they came up here, you know, to escape that kind of claustrophobic feeling and maybe get back to nature a little bit. And as a result, the the prices are going up around here. So people are looking either even further north. And that's where you find the real natural beauty. You know, I feel like there's this real desire for, for people, especially people of a certain age group who grew up with technology and like now are looking around and being like, we're all so disconnected and they're feeling weird about that they want to get back to something simpler something genuine uh so yeah i guess it is a much deeper thing but i think that's what draws people up to this area now especially yeah certainly interesting so a couple other things i want to hit on you mentioned mel brooks and the comedian scene but like if you're not if you're like not a student of comedy and i don't mean that in like a michael scott way i mean that (laughs) (laughs) i mean like an academic way like sure it might be hard to fathom just how important this little belt in comparison to the entire country, like the influence it had on American comedy and early TV. Um, You know, you mentioned Mel Brooks, but George Burns, Rodney Dangerfield, Don Rickles, Woody Allen, Buddy Hackett, Carl Reiner. So I'm reading a list. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Lenny Bruce, Joan Rivers, the list goes on. Like they all got their start there. And it's, it's like, it's insane to me for me to think about because Again, as a TV junkie and a TV like student, especially like the early sitcoms and or variety shows. Sure, right? yeah, yeah. How many of these names just influenced that kind of comedy? And it's again, like I said, unfathomable that this resort area was the breeding ground for an entire history of television writing and just comedy in general. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's kind of a perfect story. Uh, you've you've got Jewish people. Because let's face it, Jewish people are hilarious. Uh, <laughs> it's true. You know, when I when I was young, when I was a burgeoning student of comedy, I always felt that my biggest shortcoming was that I was neither Jewish nor Canadian. Um, <laughs> and and you put a bunch of Jewish people together, and they're they're going to be even funnier. And so you have a place that truly, an environment that truly appreciates comedy. So that's why you have a designated pool comedian. You know, there there were probably others. There was probably a comedy hierarchy at every Borscht Belt hotel. You know, you could be a wisecracking bellhop. But also just being in an environment of like-minded people and, and comedy people, tossing ideas around. These guys probably sat around eating sandwiches, playing cards and like, trading jokes back and forth, to be in that kind of collaborative environment. And not to mention the fact that a lot of New York City showbiz people were vacationing. Mm -hmm. So 
these people who you know were doing stand-up shows or even by the pool at these resorts if they made the right person laugh they could be on a talk show the next day so it was it was a real incubator uh in a lot of ways like i said just kind of the right place the right people at the right time you had these very talented people in an environment that brought out the best in them and it was pretty easy for them to get recognized uh yeah, it's super it's super awesome it's a topic that i implore all of you to just you know google yourself and explore um w- one thing i just w- wanted to quickly mention another thing i uh, you should google out there like the history of basketball in this country too is very influenced by the Borscht Belt. And I think less people even know that. There's a great little ESPN like mini documentary. It's really short about Wilt Chamberlain's summer as a bellhop uh, at one of these uh, Borscht Belt resorts because the, oh, wow. the, res- the resorts would play each other and then they would start to like basically recruit the best basketball players as ringers. And, you know, I think they had a rule like you had to work at the resort. So they would have, they would give them like a token job and then you'd have these amazing like NBA level <laughs> games happening in the summer, which uh, again, wow. explore that too. This is a fascinating, fascinating piece of the country. And if you're not from the New York area, maybe you don't know it as well, but you should. <laughs> okay, Larson, last thing, Dirty yeah. Dancing. Any thoughts and notes on the film? Uh, yeah, it was my grandma's favorite movie growing up, uh, which always made it weird when the sexy scenes would come on. <laughs> And I always associated it with my grandmother and awkwardness in general. So I, I kind of stayed away from it. And it's it's one of my wife, Alyssa's favorite movies. So we watched it relatively recently for the first time in a long time. And I realized I, I loved it. It's great. It's just like, you know, a classic love story. It's funny. It's moving. There are great performances. And I, I was no longer uh, ashamed to watch it. So it's just great. And yeah, in a lot of ways, it does capture, like I said, I never went to one of these resorts, but it does capture sort of like the magic of, of being young and, and going away to one of these places, leaving it all behind and sort of being part of another world, having a summer romance, stuff like that. And it's also, and I didn't really think about it, but it is... A, a good fit for this podcast because it is about somebody who just graduated high school. And a lot of movies touch on this idea of now that I'm out, like, do I do what I was supposed to do or do I do what I want to do? Or do I do something completely unexpected? One crazy summer, which I talk with you about yeah. is, is kind of like that as well. But yeah, fantastic. Well, Larson, you are someone for whatever reason I associate with the summer so <laughs> happy to have you on this summer. I mean, your your uh your yacht rock playlist is great, but I've been rocking your pool party playlist a lot lately. Yeah, on, I'm, uh, I'm Spotify. I'm pretty proud of that one, the '80s '80s pool party because I was I was at a wedding in Aruba, uh, and they had the the most amazing pool with like neon lights and a swim up <laughs> bar, and somebody was DJ, DJing and they were playing just the worst music. And I remember thinking, like, if I was DJing this party, what would I play? And as soon as I got home, I made that playlist just in case I ever end up in a neon soaked Arubian pool with a swim up bar anytime soon. Well, I'll tell you what, a couple of times <laughs> it's come in handy for me. Not in that. I wish 
in that environment, <laughs> but, but a couple times I've been at a family barbecue or something of that nature. And someone's like, Hey, Brian, mm-hmm. do you mind controlling the music? And I'm like, I got the playlist for you. <laughs> and everyone always loves it. So, well, thank you. I am, thank you for that. I am that that's wonderful to hear. And, and thank you for accommodating my rambling today. Uh, like I said, I, I didn't even know I had this much to say about the subject, but as a fan of both comedy and the cat skills, it was a pleasure speaking with you on it. Now, uh, I don't know if there's anything you want to plug, but I know you're doing some very exciting things. So anything you want to say? Uh, well, just for now, uh, nothing, nothing I want to go on the record about, but, uh, (laughs) You know, if uh, if you want to uh, read my articles about uh, local politics in the Peekskill area or arts organizations, I write for a hyper local paper called the River Journal. Uh, you can go to uh, riverjournalonline.com. I also host a podcast with them where I speak with interesting local people. So it's pretty cool if you live around here or if you just want to hear my voice more. We love hearing your voice here in high school summer party. So, <laughs> so thanks, Larson. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So, Kyle, how is San Emilio Island? I can't believe I'm not there. Are you having a good time without me? Oh, my God. Brian, your voice is just... Forget that she's like the wind. You're like the wind. <laughs> it's lonely out here in, in male camaraderie, but I am chumming it up with all the wives that stay here week long. <laughs> Always your specialty on San Emilio Island. And I see you've been uh, hitting up the old San Emilio karaoke. Oh, tons. That's my, that's my aphrodisiac, you know? All right. So I got a question. Obviously a lot of questions today for you, but <laughs> my my first question is a San Emilio Island related karaoke question. So you know you're at the the karaoke bar, right? Mm-hmm. And you you see a beautiful divorcee. Maybe she's a coastal grandma. Maybe she's divorcee. Not. We like to say. Sorry, di- divorcee. <laughs> my apologies. <laughs> That's how long I haven't been there. What is your like karaoke song that you know might entice her to at least? Maybe say you did a good job and start a conversation or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. you, you know, like Top Gun, when they're like, you lost that love and feel it. Like, what is yeah. your song for that moment? Um, I mean, my two biggest ones are Can't Fight This Feeling Anymore by Ario Speedwagon. Nice, nice. That gets them going. That's a time That's a time machine right there. <laughs> All right? I just, I shave my beard, leave just a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> I sing, can't fight this feeling. I put on a jean jacket, a jean Hawaiian shirt. That'd be amazing. They should. Make those. <laughs> they should. Tommy Bahama, <laughs> if you're listening, Tommy, make it. Come on, Tommy, you're fucking up. Uh, and then, oh boy, try a little tenderness, Otis Redding. You know, nice, nice. Yeah, That's I got a little, so some '60s, some '80s. I'm sure I definitely have to peruse my list. I'm sure I've got something in the seventies. So just getting that whole, you know, that plethora of women that just want to feel young again. Not that I'm young, but <laughs> young, younger, <laughs> younger than the demo. That's for sure. <laughs> Speaking of, you know, seventies and eighties sounds and maybe someone who would have fit in that demo. If she walked into 
a San Emilio karaoke bar. Unfortunately, she won't get the chance because we learned today that Olivia Newton-John passed away, and I kind of oh just wanted my God. wanted your thoughts. I know on I it. hear from I don't hear from you that that much this summer because I'm just out here on San Emilio, single island, and <laughs> uh, and and you hit me with this news of my poor Olivia, one of my top dream women. Oh yes, passed away today. Too young. I, I read about her. She was battling with breast cancer since the early nineties. Wow. God, God, God bless her. Supposedly she was in a lot of pain. So hopefully, you know, she's, she's in no more pain anymore. And truly, just an amazing musician and actor. And obviously, you've talked about Greece on here. So, yeah. Yeah. I was gonna ask: Is there a favorite Olivia Newton-John role? Is it Greece? Yeah, I mean, that's just so iconic. I mean, you know, that's, I feel like, how most people were probably introduced to her as. Yeah, I would think so. Especially if you were born after the movie or you were, like, young when the movie came out. Because, you know, sure, she had a uh, singing career already, but just that, like, that role is just so iconic. And do you have a favorite Olivia Newton-John song? Magic. Hands down. Oh, love magic. From Xanadu. Hard to believe that it's magic. Nothing can stand in our way. Oh, when that fucking kicks in, that is a sexy song. That is a song that I have dreamt to making love to an older woman with. So, <laughs> And I don't know why it's not in there yet. And I got to make sure it's on one of my... It's definitely... I definitely put that on my Ham in Bed Spotify playlist. Plugging that now, but yes, Kyle, your, your <laughs> ham and bed Spotify playlist. It, it's, All my ham playlists. but this, The yeah. tunes that one would hear if they were in the bedroom of a one Kyle Reinfried on San Emilio Island. And uh, yeah. me and our uh, mutual friend Dow and his fiance and my wife were in the car upstate and listening to those uh, tunes. And you teenage. guys pulled over and just had an orgy. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, that did not happen. But it's a great, it's a great summer mix regardless so yeah definitely your spotify mix and you know we salute olivia newton john definitely a queen of soundtracks as well and we've we're talking a movie today that has a killer soundtrack among other things soundtrack yeah i own it on vinyl i might own it twice on vinyl because sometimes i do that like i'm like do i have it it's only three dollars let me just get it (laughs) well if you do give it to me because i don't have it on vinyl and of course we are talking dirty dancing today kyle what is your history with dirty dancing my history with dirty dancing wow um i i can't say for sure but this feels like a reinfried family movie night it oh, does. Oh, you saying Reinfried made me realize that you didn't introduce yourself. <laughs> just oh, okay. Introduce yourself I thought quickly. of that. And, uh, yeah, exactly. Okay, well, this is Kyle Reinfried, class of 2005 from Northern Valley Regional High School at Old Tapan. Go Golden Knights. People who are fans of the show know you, and that's why I forgot yeah. about it. But yeah, so sorry. Reinfried Family Movie Night, really. Dirty Dancing. Yeah, I think so. I, You know, I mean, I know this is definitely... This was definitely on VHS also in our house. This was, I, my, I mean, my sister loves this movie for the sheer matter that Mount Holyoke is mentioned. Uh, <laughs> she went my there sister's, right. Yes, my sister's undergrad alma mater. Uh, it's also mentioned in Van Wilder, fun fact. Oh. They just say those ho- those slutty Holyoke girls. But anyway, <laughs> I, dig- I digress. That's a college movie. We're at a high school slumber party now. 
my history from it there. Definitely a movie that like totally didn't understand anything about the abortion, you know, subplot of the movie. We'll definitely talk about younger. that. Yeah. <laughs> um and then yeah, just history with it. I mean, I definitely liked Patrick Swayze uh, as a kid. I mean, I still I love I love him now. I still love him. But there was something about him. I'm trying to think of if this was like the first movie I'm introduced to him in. Um, Did you see? You Ghost, know, I love Ro- maybe? I Ghost. love yeah. Ghost yeah. Ghost is definitely up there. Yeah, it's either this or Ghost. I would say were the first two, and then you know recognizing that he's in like Outsiders and uh, Red Dawn, and then Red saw Dawn, him yeah. in Roadhouse. Which, by the way, like I just I you know not to go too off tangent in the beginning, but I just put Patrick Swayze, King of the Eighties? Question mark. I mean, this guy just fucking ruled the eighties and he the early nineties. But the 80s, like, obviously there are some titans of the 80s. I guess he just stood out because he wasn't Arnold. He wasn't Sly. He wasn't Van Damme. He wasn't Bruce Willis. I guess he and Bruce Willis are more similar than the rest of those guys I just named. Because they were more average Joes that, like, then, like, could, like, kick some ass. But Swayze, what sets him apart to me is just the dancing. He's so... even when It's he in his that... fucking name. Swayze. He's fucking Swayze, <laughs> man. Those hips. He's so elegant, though. Like yes. even when he fights yes. in movies, he's elegant. Oh my god! When he, yeah, he just he rips out a throat in Roadhouse as if <laughs> you know he's gonna do like a one-handed like hold of uh, you know the final move in Dirty Dancing. I mean, but, he stu- he studied ballet, and it's, yeah, and, and you could see it in his movements. So my history quickly is that I don't really have a big history. Honestly, the first time I saw this movie was. A couple of years ago. Really? Yeah, my, wow. my wife's a big fan. And I tried to think about why that was the case. And it really comes down to this. And Kyle, you know this. Growing up, th- there was boys' movies. Yeah. And that's not too white. <laughs> there was boys' movies and there was girls' movies. And you grew up in a mixed household, if you will. Like, you have a sister, right? Like, I grew up with three boys. We didn't watch things like Dirty Dancing. And that's not because yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to necessarily. You know what I mean? It's just like my mom didn't go to Blockbuster and say, you know, the kids would enjoy Dirty Dancing. I wish she oh, did. Oh, poor, poor, poor Clarabelle didn't treat herself to a, to a Dirty Dance every once in a while. <laughs> Maybe. But she definitely, <laughs> you know, she definitely likes the merengue. So, uh, yeah, that's, exactly. That's the movie. The, uh, the, what's the, oh, God, what's the ridiculous one that he's like, the, po- oh, God. Oh, I wrote it down po- in my notes somewhere. Po- 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 something. It's something Pol- stupid. Polanco, yeah. something like that. Pol- yeah, exactly. Polancha, I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love a plancha. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I get it. I get what you're saying, yeah. And it was definitely a movie that she saw and she liked, but just, I guess, didn't think we would have an interest in. I'm sure if I had a sister, I would have seen it. But, alas, like, again, I only saw it as an adult. And I'm like, wow, you know? I don't know why it took me so long to see this movie, but... It's an iconic movie. It really so is. So iconic. Between the soundtrack, there's a couple of like key lines, the imagery in the movie. I mean, when they are uh, like mouthing uh, the, oh God, what, what uh, love is strange. The, you know, like, oh, yeah, come yeah. here, lover boy. And if he <laughs> still doesn't answer, and just the way sweet, like, oh, there's just so much good stuff between them. And they and they did not, they weren't big fans of one of them. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. I didn't know that. You didn't know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they did not get along on Red Dawn. And she actually, when she found out that he was like being hired, she asked for him not to be. Wow. Yeah, yeah. No, we'll definitely talk about this cast here. And you're right. Of The, the two of them, I forgot they were in Red Dawn together. But you mentioned how iconic the film is. And Kyle, I, I thought of you for a couple reasons. I knew you liked Patrick Swayze. I know you'd seen the movie. We talked about Dirty Dancing a little bit. I remember when we were talking about another film, uh, Crazy Stupid Love. Do, do you remember Crazy Stupid Love? Oh, of course. I mean, <laughs> like, I mean, da- Daddy Goss is arguably like a modern day Swayze, and nothing against Swayze, but I mean, Brian Gosling is an incredibly talented actor to boot. Not that Swayze isn't, but he just—he's just, just so many even like elite movies at this point. But Gosling, right? Like. When he does Crazy Stupid Love, it's just whatever, this romantic comedy, for whatever reason, for like you, me, and we'll say that demographic, <laughs> demographic is a bad word for it, that um, micro generation of like a couple years, mm-hmm. Gosling in Crazy Stupid Love, like, be better than The Gap, or like... Yeah, know, if he was in LA, movie. that's who I'd want to, or I'm sorry, if I if I lived in LA... That's who I would want to be. You know, like, we were joking about it, but we were also taking cues from it, like style cues, you know? So Yeah, I, yeah, I just, I live a totally different lifestyle. <laughs> so it's sure. like, I don't, I don't, I don't dress like, like, I don't have any, like, tailored suits like that, you know, or just even, like, yes, pant, pant jacket combos. But yes, he's just a suave guy that's a little like you know i mean yeah it doesn't necessarily treat women like in the best way but But he um, learns his lesson in the movie no no he learns his lesson in the movie but it's just like i just could never i mean that's why it's a movie i'm sure some people obviously are like that in real life but i never would even come close i don't consider myself not to have confidence but just the confidence he has in that movie if you had that body you might you know, if I yeah, had that oh, body, sure, I sure. might have yeah, that no, confidence. If I looked too. like him and I had that body and the money that he has in the movie. That would be dangerous. <laughs> yeah, oh, he would be so dangerous. I'd probably be dead. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in the movie, him and Emma Stone, you know, whatever, they have like meet cute or whatever. And there's one yeah, point where he, One of the greatest acting combos. And they're back at his house and, and he admits that he his move, his go-to move is that he could do the the lift from Dirty Dancing and yeah, good scene, cool scene. But yeah, I just was thinking about that because that's when we've talked about this before. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the, and the other one that stands out to me and it was, it's, you know, with it, sweet sorrow. Now it was the greatest part of what was just one of my least favorite Super Bowls of all time where the Eagles and the Patriots played one another. <laughs> but Odell Beckham and Eli Manning did it in a commercial. Oh yes, uh, dur- during that and and uh, God God bless him. And then even even uh, oh God, why am I blanking on his name? He ended up going to the now Commanders. Landon Collins, Landon Collins on the sideline, just like looking at them, like just, like <laughs> being like, oh, what? check this out. And it just Eli Swayze, Odell is is uh, Jennifer Gray, and it's just. Amazing. It was my favorite part of that Super Bowl because I was a trash Super Bowl because of the Patriots and the Eagles. Anyway. <laughs> oh, man. So this film, wanted to do it because it is a summer movie. And it, just, it was just giving me the feels. I was upstate and I was, I was thinking about it and happy that you joined me for this. But if you're somehow not familiar 
with Dirty Dancing. Maybe you grew up in a household of boys as well and just have not heard of it. I'm going to read the back of the DVD and we'll get into it. Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey star in this beloved coming-of-age story set against the backdrop of a Catskill Mountains resort during the summer of 1963. Drawn to the staff quarters by the sound of stirring music, vacationing 17-year-old baby meets rebellious Johnny, the hotel dance instructor, who is as experienced... It's a blurry photo, isn't it? Who is as experienced as baby is naive. Baby becomes Johnny's pupil in dance and in love in this heartwarming, spirit-lifting movie that continues to captivate generations of movie fans around the world. And that puts it there, folks. Baby is 17. She just graduated high school. She is going to college. So that's why we can cover it. It is a coming-of-age tale. Age has been a question of this film, and I want to set the record straight. There's a false narrative about this film where people have painted Patrick Swayze as a sexual predator, believe it or not. Uh Like, you see that online, like that he's grooming her the entire time. To clarify, his character is 23. She is 17. It's 1963. 17 is... By the way, still legal in New York, but definitely legal at the time. She's turning 18. I'm not trying to defend that lifestyle. I'm just like saying in the movie. Just Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And in 1963, not uncommon for that kind of age difference between a man and a woman. No, no. And um, how old is her? Is her sister supposed to be older or younger? I don't know. I always, always, I've seen the movie two or three times, but I always just assumed she was older, but she just didn't go to college. You know, like, she's just looking for a man. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, just because, I mean, they're trying to, like, kind of, like, set her up with the guy that's going to med school, so he's got to be... A little you know, older. Yeah, that's why I figured older. it was that was the case. Whatever. I'm not, you're gonna, not going to find an argument for me about a period piece. <laughs> I really don't think that that's an issue here, so I'm going to dismiss that. You know? I, you know? I think people also look into it a little bit more just because, I mean, well, I mean, I think... Jennifer Grey is like 27 and he's 34 in real life. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's something along those lines. Yeah, something along those lines. I mean, they're obviously, well, they're, I guess, so they're almost the same age difference in real life as they are supposed to be in the movie. But but he looks like a man. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I look kind of past her. You know, know, like, I mean, you know how everyone is like to themselves. Like, I'm sure if someone hasn't seen me in a few years, they'll be like, oh, Kyle looks older. He looks fatter. I don't know. Whatever. I look, point being, I look different. But to me, like, I don't like look that different. But then I see a picture of myself from X amount of years ago. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. You know, I've, I've, (laughs) I've, I've, I've changed a little bit or whatever. But I still, I look at Patrick Swayze, I'm just like, he looks older than me, and I'm a year older than he is, you know, in that movie. But I just like, I'm just like, that's a man. That's a graceful swan of a man. Exactly. He's a man, you know? Yeah, a swan that would fucking attack you. (laughs) An attack swan. Yeah, I'm just like part of the fucking apple dumpling gang, fucking throwing (laughs) breadcrumbs into the water. This majestic swan attacks me. (laughs) More of a gander. Patrick Swayze than, than anything, right? <laughs> Regardless, let's uh, you know talk production of the film. This film was written by a woman named Eleanor Bergstein. She based it on her own childhood at those uh, what they call the Borscht Belt. Kind of familiar to us here, those old Catskill hotels. There's still like one or two of them left, but certainly not in that 
Yeah, form. there was a nickname for them. We won't get into it, but there was a nickname for those places. No, it dates back to you know, Jewish Americans living in New York, and just as someone who's living in Manhattan and working in Manhattan, it yeah. gets really hot in the summer. So you would understand if you have the means to get away for the summer, even if it's for a week, you do it, especially in the age before air conditioning. Oh, you would even see it for like day trips. You know, you could go up to uh, Bear Mountain, which isn't far from New York. No, like an hour. Yeah. Like once you cross the GWB, like Bear Mountain's only like, I feel like a 25, 30 minute drive. But, um, you know, that people would go up there and just use, they had like a public pool. And the picnic areas, and people would just even go there for the day, just you know, just to escape the city and just the the soundscape and everything like that. This movie is really one of the biggest reminders of that culture that doesn't exist anymore. There was that show on Amazon about like the cats. Oh, Red Oaks. Oh, was Red Oaks up there? I was thinking of the one with the the lady comedian, Miss Maisel. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, Red Red Oaks is like an '80s period piece, and it's supposed to take place like right around. They shot it around where we grew up. Oh, yeah, that's right. Like right yeah. there. And I think Jennifer Gray's on that show. Oh, cool. Fun fact. Yeah, but anyway. Sorry. No, M- Miss Maisel, they go up there a lot. Yeah. Um, also, like, I always think of it that stupid uh, Catskill comedian from Wet Hot American Summer that what's his name oh. plays? <laughs> arts and farts and crafts, right? Yeah, so well, that was the whole thing. That's where a lot of comedians, but especially Jewish comedians, went to, like, make their bones and just like write a lot and kind of I'm sure they were like put up and it was like an affordable place and probably nice for them to get out of the city for the summer but that you know I mean that's where like Jackie Mason uh Woody Allen uh you know the, all, like, Dangerfield all I'm sure you know yeah Dangerfield I'm sure probably even Mel Brooks at one point maybe. oh yeah Mel Brooks yeah no I've seen pictures of yeah. him up there Carl Reiner I'm sure I'm sure you know like they, that they were set all... yeah that really influenced not just comedy in the New York area but comedy um in the English language let's be frank really a lot of that comes from the Catskills but there, it has a, such a unique history I was happy to talk with Christian Larson about that um but it, it's so cool to see it in this movie as I'm sure you read, Kyle, and you watched the, which I didn't, you watched the movies that made us, right, about this? Yes, I highly recommend uh, checking that out I, you know, after you watch the movie. It's a fun little, yeah, way of, uh, I'm not the biggest fan of the show, I like the format that they do, but it's still, it's fun in a world that we don't have many, uh, unless you buy the hard media, you don't have access to special features anymore, it feels like early on special features kind of thing. Yeah, so, for sure. I mean, I, I like the series. I like the toy one better, honestly, because maybe I'm too much of a podcast snob where, <laughs> you know, where I'm watching it and I'm like, I knew that, whatever. Uh, but um, it was not filmed up in the Catskills as we talk about it so much. It was filmed in North Carolina and Virginia, which I found interesting. Yeah, just much cheaper down there because, by the way, this movie came out the day you were born. Yeah, I saw that. August 21st, 1987. This is my birthday movie. Literally, yeah. this movie is as old I think mine's, as me. I think mine's RoboCop. It, it could be RoboCop, Kyle, but I looked this up, and for me, I was like, what was the number one movie when I was born? And movies were released so much differently then that like new releases were rarely number one. You know, it took yeah, a couple yeah, weeks. Yeah, yeah. Took, yeah. For me, it was Richard Dreyfus, Emilio Estevez, 
Stakeout. Are you familiar with that one? Uh, I, you know what? I've never seen it, but I, I like I've heard the name. I feel like I've seen the poster. <laughs> I've only seen like the cover at Blockbuster. Yeah, but it's perfect yeah. for me. Whatever. Yeah. Emilio Estevez, Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> I feel like they're my peoples. You know, Richard Dreyfus. He probably went to the to the Catskills <laughs> at some point. Um, and then your movie. Let me see. Uh huh. So if RoboCop came out on your birthday, Kyle, RoboCop is your Dirty Dancing, right? Like it came out yeah. on your birthday, but it wasn't it wasn't the number one movie. Your okay, number yeah, one sure. movie was... Ooh, what is it? Three Men and a Little Baby? No, you wish. You wish. <laughs> uh, venture another guess? I don't think you're going to get it. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It came out July 17th, 1987, RoboCop. But uh, no, go, go, go ahead. It has, honestly, a lot of people you would like, but I don't know if you've seen or know the movie. So it has Jack, Jack Nicholson, huh. right? Cher, Ooh. Michelle Pfeiffer, and Susan Sarandon. Oh, what movie is that? It is The Witches of Eastwick, directed ah, by okay. George Miller, of all people. All right. Uh, no, <laughs> never never seen I, I, I'll have to check it out. That's, that's interesting. Joey and John Brooks have their 1999 films podcast here on the network. We've talked about it before. Maybe we got to do a 1987 podcast. Great year for movies. That's the movie that came out on my birthday. No, that's the movie that was number one. Like, oh, okay. I got. Like, I got to look. At, yeah. Your mom pushed you out, and she said to Gary Reinfried, "She's like, let's go see a movie." <laughs> let's go, let's, yeah. Everyone's talking about the week, <laughs> which is Feastwick. Let's see that. <laughs> uh, my mom had a C-section, by the way. So you you came out some way. That's all I know. <laughs> Eleanor Berg, Eleanor Bergstein again wrote it based on her childhood, hanging out in those Catskill resorts. Uh, the director selected for this. Was and I was like, who's the director of this? And it wasn't someone I knew. Were you familiar with this guy? Uh, only because of the movies that made us. Emil Ardenillo. Um, did it mention him? Because this is a first-time director. He had won an Oscar. It says, according to Wikipedia, it says for like a dance film, and he was like really. In, no, he was really into choreography. Yes. So it, they they cover this in you know their in their. Uh, whatever kind of editing way you want to call that. And once you see the movies that made us or the toys that made us, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, just that editing style that they do. And just like the director, they got an Academy Award winning director that never directed a feature film. It's like, Oh, and so it ended up being for this short documentary about dancing, but he was familiar with Patrick Swayze. Cause Patrick Swayze's mom was the number one dance instructor in yeah. Texas. Yeah. Big deal. Uh, Big deal. Yeah. And on Patrick Swayze's, uh, this is the last thing I'll say, like in this spectrum, because just go watch the movies that made us. But on Patrick Swayze's, uh, you know, headshot on the back of it, it said no dancing. <laughs> they loved his look, Patrick Swayze's look, the the woman that wrote it and her producing partner. And but they looked at the back and they're like, oh, no dancing. But then when the director was hired, he was just like, oh, you really want him? Like, yeah, he'd be great because he's a fantastic dancer. Like, but it says no dancing. And he put that because he had a knee injury playing football when he was younger. And he really wanted to, like, focus on acting. And so he just thought, like, well, I'm not going to risk hurting it because I want to keep acting, being in as much stuff as possible. But once he read the script, he liked it enough to be like, sure. But he did hurt his knees a couple times on set. Gotcha, gotcha. That's interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. And unfortunately, we lost this director. We lost this director in 1993 due to AIDS. Unfortunately, we're going to have a pretty sad podcast when it comes to that because a lot of the people who made this film are no longer with us. Someone who is, though, is uh, Kenny Ortega, uh, who was the choreographer. 
I, I recognized his name from a bunch of stuff, obviously, but I know he did um, a High School Musical as the director, so that's pertinent to us. And Hocus Pocus as well, also pertinent to us. Boy, Hocus Pocus, Witches of Eastwick? Ooh, a lot of witches, a lot of witches. I looked it up. Like, no movie came out specifically on my birthday. I don't know what day of the week it was that uh, year. Obviously, yours must have been like a Friday or yeah, something. Yeah, it was. But June 12th is The Witches of Eastwick, which was number one, so only... It didn't take long for it to be wow. a movie, but but so but Predator came out on the same day, so I'll take that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I just want to one more thing mention with Kenny Ortega. Uh, he choreographed Saint Elmo's Fire, Pretty in Pink, and Ferris Bueller's Day Off as well. So, you know, dude's done a lot of good stuff here. Yeah, and obviously we mentioned the films that Swayze has been in, but I mean, he, so he's been in three films that you've covered. Between uh, you know this being the third one, so you've got you've got the Outsiders, Red Dawn, and now this. Like that's a that's a good Swayze you're talking like. about, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was the man for the job here. One more thing I want to mention though about the production, it won an Academy Award for Best Original Ooh. Song. I've had the time of my life, and we already mentioned excellent soundtrack. We'll talk about some of our favorite numbers here. I'm sure there's three songs I really think of when I think of this movie, right? I've had the time of my life. Hungry Eyes, of course. Iconic scene. And again, I definitely want to spend some time on that. But the third is She's Like the Wind, which is sung by Patrick Swayze himself. So a man of so many talents. True triple threat. Singing, dancing, acting in this film. Yeah, which just makes it all the more awesome. There's a really fun story to that on uh, the movies that made us. So again, check that out for that reason. I'm not going to just repeat that whole thing, especially because I watched it right before this. So <laughs> but yeah, triple threat. I will say though, that I'm not taking anything away from these songs as songs, but if I was going to have like, if, if you were like, Kyle, what's your biggest problem with the movie? Well, I guess it's kind of like an, like an overarching thing of just like, it just at a lot of points doesn't feel like the sixties. Like, I know this was a very small budget on this movie. I think like $4 million yeah, or something like that. and it was a huge hit. It ended up making what, around $2 yes, million. Yes, no, exactly. It made tons of money uh, in, in general, but especially in comparison to its budget. Uh, Jennifer Grey made like nothing on it, I feel like. Uh, you know, I think 40000 I don't know. It doesn't yeah. matter. Po- point, point, point being, there's a lot of moments I'm just like, it just feels so 80s. And those three songs just don't really sound of the time, which I know they did. A, that's where they spent a majority of their money is on the soundtrack of Frankie Valli to Otis Redding to, you know, like just a bunch of music of that time that was really important to the writers since it was, you know, based from her experiences. Well, to, to me, it's just like hedging your bets, right? Their, their intended audience was teenage girls. And they knew they could sell a cool soundtrack. So they had these period songs, which are great songs. You know, you and me both love a lot of these songs on this soundtrack. But they're like, let's peter in some of the more modern tracks to see if we get some radio play and stuff. But you're right, Kyle. Um, Especially like the last dance number, which, again, I love and we'll talk about it. But it definitely is like, wait a minute. Is this a Back to the Future scene? Like, I felt like like he was going to be like, you know, but your kids are going to love it, you know, when he started to play that song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it didn't make sense in the time, but my head rationalized it as more. That wasn't actually the song playing there. You know, that was just the song that's playing for us right now. Like, what do you call it? Diegetic versus non-diegetic? Except he does sing a few of the lyrics to her. Which doesn't make sense. I know, but (laughs) I'm trying to to rationalize it. It's those three songs, but then just even when I was rewatching it, like my roommate walked by. I'm sorry, the uh, random seal, that's my roommate. I guess I could have a roommate on Sanamula. Anyway. Your roommate or uh, or the divorcee that, that stayed over yeah, last yeah, night? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when I when I was watching this and the divorcee that uh just I tried to I tried to kick her out. She just couldn't, no. couldn't move her. Uh, oh, she's the seal? <laughs> she's the seal. <laughs> uh, but point being like just some of the even though, like some of their outfits like you know i mean the movie starts off it's really like it's 1963 it's before jfk has died like they're really setting the tone in the scene and like the you know before innocence is lost and i'm just like and i understand dirty dancing was happening at that time i'm not questioning like the movement but still just some of the outfits i'm just like just even like the like unitards leotard whatever you want to call oh yeah oh yeah when the three of them are dancing together which is also one of the sexiest scenes of all time that blonde by the way is yeah like it's just a lot of those moments just even like some of the sunglasses some of the people are wearing some of the a little bit of the hairstyle like swayze has like the curl back but he still kind of has like his 80s mullet to him it's you know it's it's a hundred percent hundred percent but this is not like a james cameron titanic style period piece no 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 you just bringing up the the music then just i feel felt like that was the time to bring if i had any but i don't care enough i mean that's the same to bring up a movie of the late great olivia newton uh, greece the movie starts with a frankie valley song that uh, sounds more like the late seventies, and like the you know, they, with the same intention, yeah, exactly. right? Like, oh, we don't know if these same, are be exactly. Hits. We need that hit song. We need that radio song. Let's get a guy that's like he was kind of had a little bit of a resurgence at that time as well. I think that ended up winning best original song. So very similar in that sense. But so I get it. I get it. I totally get it. Just talking about this makes me realize, like, I love the movies. I love. I love the old way of making things as much as I love the new way of making things. They're like, we need a hit. Let's get a fucking hit in this movie, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah um, exactly. So, again, Patrick Swayze as Johnny here. Johnny Castle. What a great name. Great name. And he, great of, name. he of course, is a dance instructor here uh, of the non-Jewish characters. <laughs> yeah, I read he was originally supposed to be Italian, but they changed him to Irish? I guess. I guess. <laughs> like Exactly, yeah. Uh, he does have that kind of New York accent in this. I love it. It's, it's, it's a so guy from good. Texas. A guy from Texas. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, Kyle, you kind of alluded to some of the people who who were potentially in talks or thought of to play it. This was my list, so let me know if there's someone that you know that I don't, or vice versa. But I had Val Kilmer, Benicio del Toro, and Billy Zane of all people on the short list uh-huh. to play Johnny. No, that's that's exactly. It. There were four people at the end, the two guys being up for Patrick Swayze and Billy Zane. Wow, that's insane. And Billy Zane was only 20. Patrick Swayze, as you mentioned, is a lot older than that. And Val Kilmore, one of your guys, too. But could you imagine Benicio Del Toro in this lead? What a lead. Not at all. It's so weird. I would love it. I would love it. Are you kidding me? How old is he? How old was he then? (laughs) Timeless. That's all you need to know. Timeless. I'm not sure. Yeah. The dancing was very, very important. Flashdance was a hit a couple years before this. People debate what's the better 
dance movie of the 80s flash dance or dirty dancing what about footloose footloose oh we gotta put footloose in there too that's the big three right and yeah flash dance uses a lot of stand-ins and if you watch the movie it's a lot of like close cuts of feet and then the actors you know they didn't want to yeah, do yeah. that they wanted full dancing shots that was really important to them so as you mentioned swayze with that dance background got the role in iconic uh of course of course baby is played by Jennifer Grey. Frances, as we learned her name is. The shortlist there was Winona Ryder and Sarah Jessica Parker. Did did you have that as well? Yeah. The four people that did screen tests together that they like did, you know, like whatever, how many versions that is, was Jennifer Grey, Sarah Jessica Parker, Billy Zane, Patrick Swayze. And it just totally came down to, and although, as I said, that kind of hinted to it earlier, but they did not get along Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze because of stuff on Red Dawn. That was a very key thing that like the, the castings, you know, all the productions saw this chemistry that they had. And then even the director used it as a tool on set when they were having like blowouts, he would play their audition tape together and be like, look at that chemistry. You guys have it. Let's awesome. find that again and let's get back to that. That's awesome. And I mean, I see the chemistry on screen. That's why it surprised me that you said that they didn't get along. Um, Jennifer Grey, yeah. I mean, we've talked about her in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, of course, you know, dating Matthew Broderick at the time. It says he has a cameo in this film, Matthew Broderick. I, you see him? I've never seen him. I, yeah, exactly. Oh, wait, did you watch till the end of the credits? Oh, there's a post credit scene? No. Oh, imagine you're he's still like, here. Yeah, like <laughs> that's at, what at the Catskill Resort. Like, yeah. you're still here. You're still here. Summer's over. Yeah, go, go back to the city. Chica-chica. Go. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but Jennifer Grey, such an iconic look for her as well. Underrated. Yes, she looks very '80s, but she also, I think, is perfect for the role. She looks like. A Jewish person who would be at this Catskills resort, frankly. Oh. You know that's a look that I love. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. There's just so many good things that they pointed out on the movies that made us. <laughs> I just want to re- I just want to repeat. So the, okay, so the last thing I, I'll try. <laughs> that when she was going in for her audition, her dad like fought for her to get into that because he was somebody. Yeah, he yeah. Like- he, he's actually um, Joel Gray, who's an actor and dancer who was famous for Cabaret. Yes. Okay. So that's what, but she really didn't have any dance experience, but he like fought to like get her in there. Cause she just had like a few like supporting roles at this point, never a lead. And when she was walking to the audition room and he was like kind of standing there, she turned around and said like, wish me luck, daddy. And they, and the, and like the producer and the writer said that like, from that point, they're like, Oh, that's our person. Totally. Just the way she said, wish me luck, daddy. Nice. Like, Love know, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's just go through the cast here as quick as possible because there's so many great ones that I want to mention. Um, yeah, be my guest. Yeah, but you mentioned uh, the blonde, as you put it, who's the other dance instructor there, uh, Penny. She's played by an actress named Cynthia Rhodes. Who, if you look at her IMDb, she's in every dance movie almost of the '80s and so many music videos. She's in Flashdance. She's in Staying Alive, which is. As- <laughs> As you know, the Saturday Night Fever bomb of a sequel about <laughs> about uh, Travolta's character trying to make it as a dancer. I just want to dance. <laughs> Directed by Sylvester Stallone and 
scored by his brother Frank Stallone. Who had a recent birthday. Happy birthday, Frankie. <laughs> yes, he did. You sent me that. <laughs> but she, she's great in the movie as well and an excellent dancer, obviously. Um, so just want to give her props. Jerry Orbach as the dad, Law and Order fame, and just so good in everything he does. Yes, a musical guy as well. A lot of Broadway. And I made a cheeky, I wasn't sure if you'd pick up on it or not when you said um, you're going to read off the cast. And I said, be my guest. He was ah, Lumiere in Beauty and the Beast. Ah, there you go. Yeah. There yeah, you go. That was, that was my wit at full speed. Uh, so yeah, that was like my introduction, I think, to him. And then like realizing like, oh, that's Jerry Orbach. And then, uh, yeah, just a tremendous actor, you know, uh, passed away now like I feel, several years ago. It just plays such a great dad. Seeing the scenes of Patrick Swayze who passed away and Jerry Orbach who passed away, I was just like, oh, you know. Yeah. Made, made yeah. me sad. How about the wife of Jerry Orbach? Or not in real, you know, the wife of Baby's dad. I don't know his name. Kelly Bishop. Uh, hello. How about Gilmore Girls? That's cool. Yeah. That's high school. Yeah. Technically. A TV show, which we might do at some point. Who knows? I- I'm looking at my list. I'm like, God, so many people I want to mention. The manager, the owner of the hotel property, Jack Weston. He's been in a ton of stuff. So Lonnie Price, who plays his son, Neil. This guy, just the worst. Oh, yeah. He's just so annoying. He's like, makes that one joke just about like being the guy that owns like two hotels. Yeah. And he's like, you know, I'm a desirable man or something along those lines. Oh, he's gross. He's such a, I wrote down he's just a fucking dweeb. What a dweeb. If that's a word we can still use. It's funny because there's only one other movie I know him from. And that is the, oh, really? the Muppets Take Manhattan. <laughs> he's also... Like, a son character. He's like a producer's son trying to make uh-huh. it. And he, you know, kind of sort of adopts the Muppets and they do a Broadway play or whatever. But he's so endearing in that film. And to see him oh, really? as, like, oh, so okay. not endearing in this was jarring. <laughs> so, uh, Lonnie Price, if you're out there, shout out to you. Woo! Uh, who else should we mention? Well, I got. I want to mention Wayne Knight. I can't oh, of course Wayne Knight, yeah. <laughs> Wayne Knight, what a career when you think about it. From Newman to Jurassic Park, right? Like Space Jam. Space Jam? Basic Instinct? That's what I was thinking the other day. I'm like, what is he in? The- oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that scene in Basic Instinct. He's just had <sighs> such a legendary, like, popping up here and there. You know what I mean? That kind of career. Yeah, and in this, he pr- provides the great role of, like, I mean, he's not just a comedian up there. He's, like, the organizer of events and stuff like that or like event all the event kind of hosts your mc just for this whole lodge facility but he is doing jokes and so he provides that role again that the cat skills was pretty famous for for having comedians up there and everything like and that. you reminded me of something kyle that i find so interesting about being up there right like if you were hired as a dance instructor you weren't just the dance instructor like you worked right like if you were a comedian odds are you had one or two other jobs up there so yeah, he's a great example of that for sure. We can't forget about, especially at least in my mind, at least one other person, and that is Cousin Brucey. Yeah, which is a name that means, I think, a lot to people who grew up around us, Kyle, but maybe not to other other people, I don't know, um, f- yes. from other parts of the country. But he's the voice on the radio. Um, he also, he apparently has a cameo in this as well, Cousin Brucey. As Cousin Brucey here, he's a famous DJ. I knew him from CBS 101 right yes yeah great dj yes exactly just has been 
a DJ for a long time. He moved over to either Sirius or XM when they started becoming popular okay. when we were in high school. And because he wasn't on the station, I remember we were seniors in high school and I would drive to the high school a little early and just like take a nap in my car beforehand just because the lines would get long to like dropping people off. And so I would listen, um, you know, the five minute drive or whatever. But then in my car while I was like trying to take a nap before school, I'd be listening to CBS FM 101.1 and that they had Mickey Dolan's at that point. Oh wow! Really? <laughs> for like for yeah for a year but point being in our senior year of high school cbs fm 101.1 the oldies station became jack fm we put the bs in cbs oh my god and that last that lasted for a year and then it became back as an oldie station but it was no longer 50s 60s and 70s it was 60s 70s and 80s and now it's including like 90s and even i think some early 2000s stuff crazy Makes you feel old. Makes you feel old, but it's like doing the same. I mean, yes, that stuff, even, you know, I mean, something from the, if it's 2001, 2002, it's 20 years old. So I get it. But, you know, I think it's just even to obviously expand their listening audience. But, uh, but yeah, Cousin Brucey, just uh, one of the most famous disc jockeys of all time. Uh, just, I, I just always loved listening to him growing up. Such a warm voice. And he makes a cameo as the magician. Early on. Oh, okay. That's where he is. Because I, yes. I really didn't know what so, he looks like, to be honest with you. Yes, you hear his voice in the drive in the beginning. But then he he was originally maybe supposed to play like the Wayne Knight role. Oh, okay. And then something happened and maybe, uh, who knows, scheduling, something like that. Maybe he wasn't good enough to be acting it. I have no idea. So then he's, he's the magician and you get to hear him as himself in the beginning. Awesome, awesome. We've talked a lot around the film so let's talk about the iconic moments that make dirty dancing the cult classic it is i don't know i mean it was a hit so i don't think it's a cult classic but the beloved hit that it is but the premise of this film really is that you know baby and her sister are up at this catskill resort and she notices johnny at one point and as we said in the description you know uh, she kind of creeps and finds johnny's uh lifestyle which is just basically all the help at the resort have cool ass dance parties unbeknownst <laughs> to the rest of the people there. Yeah. Which is just always like, like automatically that's just such a cool, fun premise that everyone is always like into that stuff. Right. Isn't that like, I mean, any kind of like things that people are nerds about these days is like the inside scoop, right? Like be like me loving comedians talking with comedians about comedy or like kitchen or kitchen culture and at that point, also at that age, just like older kids. I mean, that like definitely felt the same way when I was younger and not in nearly as cool of a scene, but like being in the high school marching band as an eighth grader and a majority of them were seniors. It's like, oh, whoa, like hanging out with the older kids. Yeah. Like, that's just such a cool, such a cool thing. And just is automatically you throw that and you throw in some, some dirty dancing. <laughs> it's funny. This movie, how do you not have a hit? This movie's called Dirty Dancing. The dancing isn't like perverse you know what i mean but there's some adult themes which we'll get into but it's a relatively clean film but the dancing is just dirty in that sense where it's like ooh, it's just so different to, to to how everything else to how everyone else is behaving at this resort yes and again of that time like it's 1963 pre-jfk assassination so it's like Vietnam is just starting. Like there's one other mention about like the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Yeah, there's a couple. Of, there's a couple like Mad Men esque mentions of things, right? Like, yeah. Oh, really? We're there, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love though Baby's introduction 
into this world when she's carrying the watermelons. Which, what the fuck is up with those watermelons? Very those oblong. Those are the weirdest. Right. Very oblong. oblong. I've never <laughs> seen a watermelon. I'm like, is that what watermelons looked like in the 60s? My guess, Who's Kyle. in the 80s, so obviously there was still me. I don't know. Those are total props. My guess, Kyle, this is what I did in my head, was that, like, and you've been a PA before, that they sent the PA to the supermarket and, like, get the most narrow watermelons you can find so that the easy, <laughs> easier for the actors to carry, right? Like, It's just such weird-looking watermelons. <laughs> I just no idea what they were. Or a PA comes back thinking it's, like, so cool. Like, aren't these interesting-looking, you know? And like, yeah, fuck. Yeah, they're like, we've got no fucking time. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless, I love her line when, when she meets Swayze and she wants to be all cool in there. And she, <laughs> yeah. And she's like, I carried a watermelon. Yo, cuz. She doing this. She came with me. She's with me. I carried a watermelon. I carried a watermelon. I think she acts so well in this scene because she seems like, like, oh, I fucked it up, you know? Oh, so good. Yeah, she then, because she doubles back and, like, when he, and she's like, I carried a watermelon? Like, you know, that, like, that verbal questioning out loud, like, what the fuck did I just say? Yeah, she's great in this movie in that, like, nerdy sense, in that, like I can't dance, which again, supposedly she really like couldn't. So that you can't, we, we are kind of experiencing her like learning those dance moves and everything like that. Uh, just so many great moments captured between the two of them and, and her in this role. Yeah. And the dancing really, you know, no pun intended really kicks into gear with the plot where uh, Swayze's dance partner, they used to date, but they're not together anymore. We find out that she's pregnant and she needs to get an abortion but the only time she can get an abortion is, and this is like logical, we'll get into it a little bit. The only time she can get an abortion and schedule one, because they're illegal at the time, is at the same time that Swayze and her have a performance at a different hotel. And it's kind of believable in a sense where it's like, you know, just teach her to do it and just kind of get through the performance so that this girl can get her abortion. The only question I had was like, we walk into this room, we see all these great dancers. And their best idea is to pick the person who can't dance to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and I was trying to think, oh, maybe they didn't want to let other people in on the secret. But you could let one more person in, okay? To, to make it. Yeah, well, that, that falls under the category of like plots of movies, as you've brought up to me. In one of our favorite movies, The Birdcage, and how like no one knows how to cook. It's like, you've got a restaurant downstairs. Yeah, like he makes Agador cook. And it, yeah. it's, it's great comedy, but it's like, wait, yeah. You, you hired a chef, and even if he's not a great chef, he's better than freaking Agador, regardless. Yeah, I, I was watching this movie, but this happened to be, like, the one point I was, like, re- I think I was, like, also re- reading some facts on my phone. And, like, I, like, I look back up, I'm like, wait, what did I? Wait, because, like, I saw her get the money from her dad. I'm like, wait, is part of it that, like, she's like, well, you can take this money because he'll also be giving me the dance lesson. Yeah. You know, like if that was like part of the excuse. But again, still, if, they, if you really needed a dance partner for that one quick performance, several other people would choose. Yeah, he could have still given her lessons, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Regardless, let's not shit on this movie because I actually really like it. Something I wanted to um, bring up, though, was this abortion thing. Like, I didn't want to bury the lead at the beginning, but I remember watching this even a couple of years ago and being like, wow. It's so crazy that people really had to seek out illegal abortions like this. And then, unfortunately, things happen in this country where 
we could be going back to this. Very well likely we are in some states. And it's terrible to think about. Um, actually, a lot of like a lot of pro-choice groups have said that this movie is an excellent example of how dangerous that can be. And just really what things were like before Roe v. Wade. And, you know, hopefully we're not going back to that. But, yeah, I mean... I didn't, I didn't expect Dirty Dancing to be so sobering, is my point. <laughs> no, you're right. Like, to have this subplot or this even this dri- kind of driving uh, subplot of of this abortion. And, um, y- you know, yeah, and like you said, you forget that, I mean, you know, we grew up in a world where up until recently abortion was, you know, always legal and, you know, could seek it in any state at least again at least very accessible where we grew up obviously a lot of states while legal on the book still made it very very hard for women yes yes you know sometimes it's tough watching like a period piece and then also now from like an era that was like you know just even from them from the 80s so this movie is what this movie is about to be 40 years old jesus well, yeah, we're that, which means we're going to be forty. No, I mean, okay, it's not a bad <laughs> on, on, on your on your on your fortieth, we will watch this. Yeah, I guess I guess we should. <laughs> so we can we can watch this on your fortieth birthday, and we can do the dance. We'll have a dirty dancing theme birthday party, and we'll have heart attacks trying to do the. Most. Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> well, we we know from our previous uh, dancing experience, Kyle, at. at and I'm not getting into the story today, but, but at, the, <laughs> yeah. at the burlesque place that you are the one catching me. So I'm going to have to get on my Peloton for a bit and to help you, you out. And you will have to wear a helmet. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You have concussed me while doing an airborne dance move in the past. We'll leave it at that. Um. <laughs> oh, wow. Have I told that burlesque story on the air? One day I will. When we cover like something that's related to it. Hey, it might have been appropriate for these episodes. Who knows? It's a wild story. I got a concussion, but we won. That's all you need to know for right now. <laughs> Big thank you to Christian Larson for coming on. Big thank you to Kyle for coming on all the way from San Emilio Island. He sounds like he's having a blast out there. We'll have a part two coming out soon with second half of Kyle's conversation. Also, a special guest. Let's just say I was getting some flack for having a Dirty Dancing episode and only talking to bros. So we'll leave it there. (laughs) Once again, check out all the other shows on Cage Club Podcast Network. Oh, check out my other show with Mike Manzi, Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. We covered the offer. We're going to have some more episodes coming out soon. That's going to be more of a magazine show, more of a monthly or bi-monthly show. But check out what we have already up there, Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. Don't forget to check out Everybody Loves Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah, I'm excited for part two because my birthday's this weekend and I'm not like Michael Scotting it, alerting you guys that it's my birthday, whatever. But as we mentioned on the episode, August 21st, 1987, my exact birthday was when this film was released. So we're releasing these Dirty Dancing episodes near the anniversary, near the 35th anniversary. So that's pretty exciting. That's another reason why I did the two-parter. So make sure you listen. Make sure you pay attention to this feed. And remember, guys, that life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop looking around once in a while, you could miss it. Remember when that's at the end of Dirty Dancing? I'm just joking. <laughs> Let's leave you with the late, great Patrick Swayze. She's like the wind. Later, friends. 
like the wind through my tree. She rides the night next to me. She leads me through moonlight, only to burn me with the sun. She's taking my heart, but she doesn't know what she's done. Feel the breath in my face, her body close to me. Can't look in her eyes. She's out of my league. Just a fool to believe I have anything she needs. She's like the wind. You're still here. It's over. Go home. Go.